Good morning. Whoever you are, we welcome you. Wherever you come from, we welcome you, and whomever you love, we welcome you. My name is Eric Van Bars. I have the honor and privilege of serving as a worship artist for this congregation and, and serving as the, the ringmaster for today's service. I'm sitting up here alone, but I'm joined by many members of our religious community today. Hal Walker, Colleen Teeley, Saul Flanner, Michael Vansick, Dan Flippo, and Joel Slater as we share reflections about the joys of fatherhood. Light the chalice this morning with words from Barack Obama. And that is, any fool can have a child. That doesn't make you a father. It's the courage to raise a child and care for a child that makes a father. Papa, do you think I'm odd? My daughter odd? Where'd you get an idea like that? Well, I don't know. It's just that people talk. Oh, they talk about me too. No, we're not odd, it's true. No family could be saner, except one uncle who, well, maybe let that pass. In all you say or do, you couldn't make it plainer. You are your mother's daughter, therefore you are class. So I should just accept I'm simply not like them. They are the common herd. And you can take my word. You are unique, creme de la creme. No matter what you do, I'm on your side. And if my point of view is somewhat misty-eyed, there's nothing clearer in my life than what I wish and feel for you. And that's a lot, no matter what. No matter what they say, you make me proud. I love the funny way you stand out from the crowd. It's my intention, my invention shows the world that uh, one day just what we've got. No matter what. Now some may say our fathers just exaggerate. That every daughter's great. You are. And every daughter tends to say her father's tops. She pulls out all the stops to praise him and, and quite rightly. No matter what the pain, we've come this far. I pray that you remain exactly as you are. There's really is a case of father knowing best. And daughter too. You're never strange. Don't ever change. You're all I no matter what. 
year is crowned with a wreath of flowers. Dreams stand in high bloom, dance around the fire of your soul, drunken with the light. Your heart beats the sacred drum, the golden petals of the flame flickering skyward. Now you stop to smell the roses. Now you pause and watch the daisies dance in the breezes of June. The magic of summer is upon us. Come, let us worship together as we rise in body and spirit. We celebrate many traditions today, the national tradition of Father, but also the tradition of our flower communion, and we're going to share the story of how that started as part of the time for all ages because it is a story for all ages. But before we do that, we want to recognize another milestone in our community and Amanda Rome is going to do that. If we could have Lily come up. (laughs) Come on, Lily. Uh, As I think most of you should know by now, um, our wonderful director of religious education, Lily Rappaport, is going to be leaving us for a full-time position in New Jersey, very close to Manhattan. So um, we're going to miss her very much, and to send her with a little something on her way, we have collected some monetary contributions, but also we are um, gifting her with a candle and a candle holder to signify the light that she brought to us and the light that we sent her with. And so that's in here, and a card, of course. And um, we're also going to be gifting her with this brand new book, A Church for All, which is about welcoming congregations. And so we're going to be sending her with that as she goes on her way to spread her wonderful, lovely, joyous gift of education. Lily has given so much to the young people of our congregation. You'll be missed, and we wish you well in your new adventure in life. So the flower ceremony. This is, we have, we have many traditions within the UU Church, but this is one of the oldest. The flower ceremony started in 1923, and it was a, the communion service originated in Czechoslovakia by the Reverend Norbert Kapek in his native country. And this was probably one of the most widely celebrated uh, services and rituals that we have within the UU congregation. Every spring, members of our, members of our community gather flowers from, their, for, from wherever they feel is part of their, their home life, and they devote this to this festive, participatory, participatory part of our service. It's meaningful for children and adults because the service allows us to bring forth something beautiful, something we've nurtured all the year and recognize the joys of the spring and the, and the, the time of the year, and also to take something home to reflect the contributions of everyone. Look at these beautiful floral arrangements that the children just created before our very eyes. So uh, we, we recognize the beauty and the diversity because every flower, like every member of our community, is unique and gorgeous. And so we bring them all together for a moment and then we scatter them out so that the blooms can, take, can go to the world and bring joy to everyone else. So while we sing the children out, the adults will be able to take a flower when they, uh, during, the, uh, during the offering later in the service, but we're going to get the kids' first dibs. So as we sing the children out, uh, on the first verse, you're allowed to move this time, and you can come up and you can select the flower that you think best represents your day here at church, and take that flower with you, and know that just like you, that flower We nurture it, we value it, it is special, it is unique, and we love when it blooms. 
So take that flower and bring it, take it forth with joy. And so now we will sing the children out. And children, come up and please grab a flower. And now in the spirit of prayer, I ask all the, the forces and the great oneness of the universe to recognize all these joys and concerns shared today and know that we are just a small part of a large community. It's all, as June opens up all flowers everywhere, we realize that the injustices of the world are on our hearts. And as we celebrate also the fa fathers in our community and those who have lost their fathers, sometimes Days where we honor loved ones can be hard because there are many amongst us who, who either have lost their father or didn't have the father's care that they wanted growing up or removed from their father or have been a father and have not been recognized for that. So we share those concerns for everyone. I think about the members of the Trenton Arts community and the loss last night and pray for the survivors of those who just wanted to come together to celebrate the beauty of the world and for, the, for those everywhere celebrating the joys, the concerns, and the sorrows. We open our hearts and give blessings and thanks. Let it be. Thinking about, thinking about my dad. Lots of funny things come back I thought I forgot, and they make me sad. I remember high school and how it used to be. I didn't want him hugging me, and I shuddered when he did. Summer nights, baseball games beneath the night lights, and sleeping in the car. My daddy and his kid. He was my hero then. He couldn't do no wrong as far as I was concerned. I thought he was the wisest and the strongest and the best of men the tables hadn't turned I hadn't learned how little time it takes and everybody breaks and yes daddies make mistakes Songs say, where are you going, my son? Now I know they're for real. Boy, you never stop to think how fast the years run or how the things they steal. Now it seems I always knew why I do the things I do and the things I never did. 
Why I worked my whole damn life So I could give a better life Than the one my dad gave me I give it to my kid. I don't have a lot of deep pearls of wisdom about fatherhood with a capital F to share with you today. I've talked in this pulpit many times, uh, even about fatherhood. Uh, but somehow today, when asked to deliver a brief reflection, I found myself at a loss for words. Maybe I've said everything I wanted to say. Maybe I've used up all my best material already. Or maybe I just needed Kathy to remind me that reflection doesn't need to be deep. It just needs to be a story. Ideally, a true story with a lowercase t. But to tell you this absolutely true story. I also have to tell you a not so true story. A story about a penguin who saved the world. A story about a hero with the unlikely likely name of Squishy Mole. <laughs> now, I love storytelling, and I especially love collaborative storytelling. Since Kailani was very little, I've been telling her a series of made-up bedtime stories we like to call the Cavalier stories. And in our made-up universe, the Cavaliers aren't a professional sports team. They're a group of knights that live together in a big castle and go on adventures together, vanquishing monsters, finding treasure, solving puzzles, etc. The plot of each story varies, but there is always a collaborative element where Kailani provides some of the details. Those details feed back into the narrative and can take the story in some surprising directions. So on one of our recent road trips, I decided to take the collaboration a little further. As we left my father-in-law's driveway in Kansas to embark on our 16-hour drive back to Ohio, I suggested, let's play Dungeons and Dragons. Kailani knows that I play D&D and that many of our family and friends enjoy it too. In these games, I am frequently the dungeon master, or master storyteller, if you will. Uh, playing D&D typically requires a lot of space for books, maps, character sheets, paper and pencils, but at its heart, D&D is just a framework for collaborative storytelling. So that's what we did. We told a story. Each person in the car assigned themselves a character with a made-up name and a set of skills. Kailani's character was Alina, the acrobat. We didn't have any dice or even a conducive environment to roll them in, but as you might expect, there's an app for that. <laughs> in any case, we didn't focus on rules or character sheets. Instead, we focused on the story. And as we passed the highway sign outside El Dorado, Kansas, this group of travelers began their quest for El Dorado, the city of gold. Kailani was immediately hooked, and so was I. And for the next two days, Alina and her adventuring group overcame many hurdles as their journey paralleled ours. Kathy and my niece Danny participated as well, though not as persistently or with as much fervor as Kailani. 
So to round out that group, uh, a couple of Kailani's stuffed animals participated as well. The most prominent of these was Squishy Mole, the healer. <laughs> now, despite what you might think by looking at him, Squishy Mole is no lightweight when it came to combat. <laughs> but he and Alina usually preferred a more nonviolent approach to their problems. Often, that required them to think quickly and creatively to diffuse or avoid an otherwise dangerous situation. And when the group got into trouble, it was often Squishy Mole who came to their rescue by squeezing into tight spaces where others couldn't go or healing their injuries by inexplicably bouncing on their heads. <laughs> I think it's accurate to say that without him, they never would have accomplished their goal and accomplished it they did. As we completed that last stretch of highway between Columbus and Akron, Alina and Squishy Mole successfully defeated the Goblin King and solved the last puddle that puzzle that opened the doors to El Dorado, learning that the City of Gold was named not for its vast wealth, but for the vast flock of bright yellow birds that called it home. Donning their newly acquired magical cloaks, the adventurers soared through the city, surrounded by their golden feathered friends. It was one of the best stories I'd ever told. And I didn't tell it alone. And it doesn't take a genius to see the parallels between being Kailani's father and being her dungeon master. Our family's story is a story we're telling together, a story that I can't entirely control, a story that I am thoroughly enjoying, and I look forward to many adventures to come. But the real way to get happiness is by giving out happiness to other people. Try and leave this world a little better than you found it, and when your turn comes to die, you can die happy and feeling that at any rate, you have not wasted your time, but have done your best. So that, that's a quote from Lord Robert Baden-Powell, the founder of the Boy Scouts of America. No, actually, the founder of Boy Scouts internationally, not just the United States. So nothing really screams more to me being a father than wearing a scout uniform. Uh, as most of you know, I have two sons. I am you know, far from the perfect father, but I do believe that my best parenting has been related to the time that I spent uh, with my sons in the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts has had a profound influence on my own life since when I joined in the second grade. There is little doubt that I would not be here speaking in a church with you today uh, without its influence on me. In many ways, Scouting was my religion before I found a faith tradition that resonated with me. Instead of seven principles, I had 12. Trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. I've tried as a scout leader and a father to pass on the values I gained in scouts to my sons and the many other scouts that I've mentored over the years. However, for a bit of background, scouting has also been a social justice crusade for me since I was a boy. When I was an older scout, the Boy Scouts of America created policies of exclusion based on sexual orientation, as well as those who identify as atheists or humanists. As a boy, I wasn't exactly thrown out of the scouts for being a humanist, 
But it was made very clear to me that I would not be able to pass a board of review for Eagle Scout. I saw these policies in direct contradiction to the principles of scouting. And in high school, I actually quit the Boy Scouts for these reasons in protest. Now let me fast forward many years to when my oldest son was in preschool. I had concerns about my son joining the Cub Scouts. At that point, I turned to my aunt, who has served in many different scout leadership roles. My aunt is a devout atheist, so I asked her how she reconciled her beliefs with the policies in scouting. She was very direct. She told me that if I wanted to make sure my sons and the boys in my town would not be discriminated against, I needed to volunteer as a leader. So, when my son entered the first grade, I volunteered to be the den leader for over 16 boys. I metaphorically stayed in the closet regarding my own religion. Since then, I've served as many, for many years as an assistant cub master, and over time I took on a number of regional leadership roles leading uh, training uh, other scout leaders. In these roles, I had a strong voice for change, and I used it on a regular basis. I also made my, sure that my sons were very aware of this social justice fight. At one point, my younger son's Cub Scout pack actually broke away from the, well, in my opinion, bigoted church that sponsored us, and believe it or not, I wasn't even part of the decision. If you're unaware, we won. The Boy Scouts of America is now inclusive and has even opened the Cub Scouts up to girls this coming fall. The Church of Latter-day Saints, which was frankly behind many of the policies that were so egregious, has formally withdrawn from the Boy Scouts of America. Meanwhile, the UUA has developed formal ties with the BSA, and there are several other congregations that have founded Boy Scout units. I can't imagine a better lesson for my sons about why we fight for social justice. Another quote by Baden Powell is teach scouts not how to give a lit how not excuse me teach scouts not how to get a living but how to live. I've lost track of how many camping trips I've taken with my sons. I like to think that I've imparted love for the outdoors with my sons. What you may not realize is that the Boy Scouts is, as Baden-Powell described it, a game with a purpose. The mission of the Boy Scouts is to train boys and girls to be better citizens. We use camping as a crucible to give them the opportunities to develop skills, and more importantly, we have more experienced scouts train the younger ones. As most of us are probably familiar, a number of different challenges tend to crop up on camping trips. And it's an opportunity for the youth to overcome these challenges. When a Boy Scout troop is run correctly, the adults are really only there to mentor the most senior scouts and to say, serve as a safety net and glorified taxi drivers. We give as much responsibility as we can to the scouts. And generally, they are very much up to the challenge. 
So I could go on for a while about the theory of the Scout program, and you probably might have a, a sense of why I was a fairly good Scout leader and trainer. Um, but if anyone would like to learn more about the Scouts, uh, feel free to find me later on. Um, I'll leave you with one last quote by Baden-Powell that has always resonated with me. We never fail when we try to do our duty. We always fail when we neglect to do it. Thank you. When they asked me to speak today on Father's Day, they told me that they were looking for somebody who could represent a model father to speak. <laughs> and unfortunately, he was not available to speak today. So I agreed to kill a few minutes. Um, I uh, don't consider myself a model father. I came uh, up in a very broken, divided family that was characterized by abandonment and violence. So I decided at a ver very early age that um, someone like me should not have kids. I thought that I didn't have a good model to base it on. To complicate it further, I've always been stuck in creative mode. And um, I was worried that that would get in the way of being a parent. Uh, my family always treated my creativity as a character flaw. When my father would catch me doing creative things like practicing instruments or writing poetry or uh, uh, making art, he would, he would sentence me to harsh physical labor as if he'd caught me shoplifting or something. <laughs> my father seemed to think that the creative life would lead to homosexuality, drug use, and membership in a communist organization dedicated to the overthrow of the American government. Which is ridiculous, I've only done like half of those things. <laughs> so, growing up in that family, I used to sneak out in the woods at night when my family was asleep and practice guitar and write poetry and things by, by flashlight. And as I grew up, I developed a creative life where I indulged all of those interests. I've uh, a publisher put out a book of my writing. I've you know made a film festival. I've, I've uh, had lots of art openings and released CDs, all kinds of things. And that's always been really rewarding to me. But I often thought that um, if I had kids, they would someday run off to join the circus, not to rebel, but because it would offer more stability and predictability than I could offer them as a parent. But late in life, my wife Stephanie and I had kids. And I have to say that that moment when the nurse puts that newborn baby in your bare hands, that is the moment when you truly learn the meaning of the word icky. They, or no, fatherhood, the word fatherhood. They towel them off eventually, they clean them up. But um, The thing that I discovered from having kids is that I was so worried about how I might fail or how it might be difficult that I forgot to anticipate all the wonderful things that could happen and how many gifts I, was, I could receive even as a, as a parent. So one example just from last week, my son Benny, who's seven, um, it's an example of something he did. I had gotten word just recently that the car I own has a fatal problem with it and I'm going to have to buy a new one much sooner than I expected and I didn't have the money for it. In the middle of that, I got a bunch of medical bills that were 
burden. And, and then I got, went to my dentist who told me that I had a $1,600 procedure that was needed. So I was fretting about this, venting to my wife. And uh, of course, there was no solution we could reach in that moment. So I went off to cut the lawn. While I was cutting the lawn, seven-year-old Benny wandered up and he was watching me. And I thought, maybe he's trying to, maybe he has something to say. So I shut off the lawnmower and I said, did you need something? And he thrust his little hand at me. And in it was a dollar twenty-eight in coins from his allowance. And I said, no, oh, what's this? He said, this is to pay for your dental bill. And I said, well, you know what? That's an adult problem, and the adults will take care of it. You don't have to worry. This is your money. You can just enjoy it for your things. And he started to tear up. And I realized how important this was to him. So I said, thank you. I took the money. Thank you for your help. You're a good, good child. Those are the kind of things I could tell endless stories like that about being a parent. I'll tell you one more. Um, there was a time recently where my wife went to some, I think it was a, a wedding shower or something, and she was gone all day, and I was with the kids. And one thing I often do when I'm with the kids is I put on some music, and I set out art materials, and Benny and I draw, and I set Katie, who's two, I set her up with some toys. And if you've ever, if you're interested in art, uh, you, you might discover that you often go into what's called a flow state, where you get so absorbed in what you're doing that you lose track of time, you just shed stress like crazy. It's a really good thing to do. So Benny and I were just, just dropping into the world of making this art. And as I was kind of emerging from the reverie of my art making, I looked around and I realized that Katie was gone. Well, my wife Stephanie has this nutty rule that when she comes back from an outing, she wants me to have the same number of kids as when she left. <laughs> and here I was, I misplaced 50% of my livestock. <laughs> so I started frantically wandering around the house looking for her. And uh, I found her huddled behind the couch. She'd found some paper and some crayons and she was drawing a picture. And that's one of the many moments where I realize I'm still that kid hiding in the woods practicing his, practicing his guitar. But I'm not alone anymore. And that makes all the difference. Well, standing before the congregation, I can't help but be reminded of a time a long time ago when this church held a talent show and uh, Clinton Hobbs introduced me with the words he's saying, now I want all of you folks to lower your expectations. <laughs> and after being speaking last after these uh, three gentlemen, I would request uh, you do also. <laughs> I guess it's a somewhat of a um, mistake in the um, program. I'm not speaking as a father, I'm speaking as a grandfather. So, Actually, I recommend becoming a grandfather as practice before you become a parent. So I think uh, if you can arrange that, it's good practice, I think. So for me, becoming a grandfather had a way of focusing on time and its passages. If father time was old, I thought, how much older could grandfather time be? He's gotta be a lot older. And in part, 
my thoughts about time um, were influenced by uh, watching the movie Coco with my two granddaughters. And after uh, the movie, you know, it's about uh, this kid going back to the land of the dead, I asked my two granddaughters what they will remember of us. And one of them said, they're gonna remember all the jewelry that the grandma's gonna give them when she's dead. <laughs> and for me, I really can't tell you. I mean, I could, but it would be even more inappropriate than what I'm going to tell you now. It generally was scatological with how they're gonna remember me. So my next thought was, in general, entropy increases over time. And then I thought, I found my meaning in being a grandfather. I am an increaser of entropy, of disorder. And with that, yeah, with that thought, I, I, I decided that is the meaning of my life. Um, this goal was given further validation by one of the grandsons. Um, many of you know him, Sam, he's the nice one. Um, and Sam and I, we were watching really inappropriate stuff on TV. We were watching the, the videos of guys getting kicked in the crotch, and we were talking our usual, you have good, like nice stories of heroes. We have incredibly scatological stories, which are beyond gross and everybody runs out of the room. Um, so we're engaging in this scatological talk while watching men being hit in the crotch and finding that hysterical. And finally, after you know, looking at this for, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, um, I thought, boy, this is really inappropriate. <laughs> and I, I said to Sam, I said, I am really a bad role model for you. I'm really a bad grandfather, and I meant that seriously. And Sam said, that's okay, Grandpa. We have our parents and Gram-Gram to be good role models. You teach us what not to be like. <laughs> And he said, <laughs> he said, don't worry, I love you. So I decided that is my role, that is my life's purpose, to fight against the parental and female forces opposing entropy. I stand for entropy, and to quote Mick Jagger, well-known philosopher, time is on my side. Like each father, each flower is a unique blossom. <laughs> and now we all have time to participate and celebrate by, by joining in this, the, the flower communion. And I ask members of the, of the congregation to come up, self-assess self who's gonna come first. You're welcome to participate, or if you choose not to, you're welcome to observe. But to select a flower that is new and unique from, from the garden before you, and to take it home with you. So. Let, let the flower communion begin. This is a song about saying goodbye to my father, who died just one year ago on Wednesday. You stood in the garden and raised your hands high. You were oh so proud in the sunflower sky. The holy world held you in the palm of your hand. And you bow to the beauty in the universe. 
You dog in the compost in search of the soil In so many ways you gifted the world There's beauty in your walking in the way that you spoke And I am who I am now because of you And now you're leaving to where you're going And everybody's gathered around to say goodbye The way you held me when I was crying The way you said I'm here for you, son That's the reason why I love you so bad Yeah, you're my home dad And now I'm singing in a song I'm gonna miss you bicycle all through the town you were oh so strong and humble and proud from Alabama to Chicago to the Cuyahoga you were always a man of community you loved up your Janet and tended the fire as Harold Walker Jr. you could never retire there was Julie and Johanna KK and Hal, you bloomed such a beautiful family. And now you're leaving to where you're going. And everybody's gathered around to say goodbye the way you held me when I was crying. The way you said I'm here for you, son. It's the reason why I love you so bad. Yeah, you're my home dad. And now I'm singing in a song. I'm my hands high I can feel your presence in the sunflower sky the holy world holds me in the palm of its hand and I bow to the beauty in the universe and now you're leaving to where you're going and everybody's gathered around to say goodbye the way you held me when I was crying said I'm here for you son that's the reason why I love you so bad yeah you're my home dad and I'm singing in a song I'm gonna miss you Closing words are by Carolyn Owen Teal. See a blossom in your mind's eye. Allow it to fill the interior of your imagination. Greater perfection of form and nature cannot be imagined. With inward gaze, absorb each wondrous fluted petal. Slide down its humid surface until the drops of the dew fall into its velvety core. Immerse your senses in this safe chamber. Such fragile beauty gives impulse to weep. Slowly reverse the journey. As you ascend the shaft towards wider light, turn your imagination around and around to see its many facets, stored within the memory of all flowers. 
Marvel at this creation. While utterly fragile, yet undaunted, it boldly buds forth, turning resolutely towards the sun. We, too, shimmer, expectation, exuding in our own illumination of color, pulse, and scent. Vulnerable, still we venture our lives courageously towards hope and light, at once fragile and rooted. Today, we have honored what is beautiful and fragile within our world, both those who have nurtured us and that which we nurture. We tend our dads and our glads today as we go forth and honor the fragility of that which blooms life into the earth and gives us beauty and joy and faith. Go forth in joy, go forth in love, go forth and blossom.